Facts are facts, but truth is truth. Is it 2019 or 1984? The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. My normal time, Saturday, 3 to 6. Today, it's Sunday. I'm on 1 to 3. Not enough time for all the stuff that is going on this week, but uh, we are going to get to it all and hit the ground running. So I want to say hello to my trusty sidekick and producer, Binkley. How you doing? Fantastic. I loved that opening. Did you? I actually screwed it up. <laughs> it was supposed to be, did Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez just say... Facts are facts, but truth is true. I, I thought it was fantastic. All right. Well, I did. I thought maybe it was too uh, too down the rabbit hole, but no, I think that's great. where we are. Don't you think that's where we are right now? I mean, isn't wasn't the Ministry of Truth like a propaganda organ in 1984? That's exactly Oregon? where we are. And here's the interesting: wasn't George Orwell in British intelligence? Yeah, he was. So this is what they call, I believe, predictive programming. Mm-hmm. So he was just putting it out there so like to carve the pathways in our brain so it's not so shocking when it descends upon us. Right, so we just accept it willingly. So, but that jumps the gun a little bit because I want to talk about, I, I do want to give the backstory on that. When the Starbucks publicity stunt uh, came up where the guy said uh, the racist barista called the cops on them for wanting to use the bathroom, and in reality, they generated that crisis. The police report reveals. So we talked about it when that came up, and I picked out something that one of the guys said when he was doing his media circuit. Rules are rules, but right is right. And then I extended that to when Stacey Abrams was talking about being public transportation shamed, poverty shamed by Zell Miller's uh, governor's mansion when she was valedictorian and Zell Miller's chief of security uh, called BS on that and her campaign responded not this is I paraphrased I made a meme out of it uh, facts are facts but truth is truth that it doesn't don't worry about whether that actually happened I'm pointing out something or she's pointing out something real and important and I just don't, it's always been my philosophy that if you don't have an actual example, if the crisis that you're worried about isn't an, something that's actually happening, then don't give me the solution. Don't, don't tell me that that's the way the world is, because I don't think that's the way the world is. And you're making stuff up to make me think it is the way, but you don't, you can't prove it really matters. Really. That's why I worry a little bit about psychology and sociology having been hijacked as a way to convince you that what you can tell with your own senses and your own logic aren't true, that there are social factors and psychological factors that defy your reason. And that keeps you from being able to use your reason to assess uh, what's right and wrong, what's um, necessary and all that. And then you could go further down the rabbit hole and look at things like Edward Bernays or the report from Iron Mountain where they talk about, uh, the report from Iron Mountain talks about running computer models to see what events uh, or how many deaths, for example, would be required to change people's opinions on a certain policy. So facts are important. Events are important as a way to add information into your body of knowledge from which you draw your conclusions about morality 
justice, uh, reality, safety, all that stuff. So you can't when when the authorities who are pushing policies are creating crises or making up facts, you have to wonder what the real agenda is. So if you have an argument with somebody and they always return to BS, you can know they're not really trying to find the truth. And that's why I really care about facts. And I try to always have an open mind and be objective, even if uh, it's against my own personal interest. So or or my belief structure. I always try to be open mind. Somebody just sent me an email before the show saying, uh, you're into conspiracies. This one talks about how the Jesuits are really pulling the strings in the world. So I'm, I have super big problems with the Pope and a lot of other things and Catholicism, the scandals and stuff, but I'm a practicing Catholic and, uh, you know, you don't want to believe that, but the Jesuits, I think we're secular anyway, but, um, but I'm just saying, I try to always approach that stuff regardless of how it makes me feel because I'm actually after the truth. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying that's how you can recognize somebody who's not after the truth, who's after some agenda they're not laying out on the table. And they start making stuff up or creating situations that support their cause. So uh, so this week, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was on Anderson Cooper, and she took issue with people who criticized her for being factually incorrect in support of her arguments. And she said it was quibbling, but the facts that she got wrong were not minor. Yeah. So I want to play those clips and I want to get into it. And and it does go back to something that we had discussed throughout last year about this movement towards both uh, reducing the importance of facts and also replacing that with a morality that's subjective. So morality, in my opinion, should be objective. You should look at the facts, look at the world. Morality, you can either believe it was brought down by God or rose up from the reality of human nature over 10,000 years of civilization, and you get to the same answer, in my opinion. So, So to have morality handed down to you on high in the absence of facts and reason is suspicious to me. And we notice that also like with what Tim Cook was saying in the Apple when he got an award for suppressing Alex Jones. Um, so this stuff that Alexandria Cortez was saying, uh, okay, I guess it's Alexandria Ocasio, if you want to make it shorter. AOC is what they call her these I days. I know, but that's so cute. I'm not falling for it. <laughs> Plus, I loved that restaurant in LA. AOC was great. So I can't do it. I'm not doing it. I'm not I'm not falling for that. Um, A-OK. Alexandria Ocasio, A OK, would be. I'm definitely not going yeah, there. Yeah, I can't go there. I can't believe I just gave that one <laughs> So uh, anyway, so so there's a, there's so much in what she was talking to Anderson Cooper about that we had that brings together some of the themes that we had identified last year as emerging, and one of the things that you had talked about was how uh, you had predicted. This is extremely topical for this week's news. You had talked about how. Pelosi came out last year or whenever it was and was trying to negotiate with Trump on DACA. And when she came up with a good solution, people on her side of the aisle went bananas on her. I know you have a great clip demonstrating that because they they basically said you can't negotiate with him because it humanizes him yeah. more or less. And you predicted absolutely accurately that uh, she would... This time around, 
refuse to negotiate at all and pivot to the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, hard left progressive stonewalling disruptive that she was going to just uh, be a, a stonewall in uh, against Trump in this in the border wall dispute. And that's exactly what happened this week. I actually had to stop listening to the news. I felt the news jumped the shark halfway through the week when Trump and Nancy and Chuck went into a meeting for one minute and then supposedly he slammed the table and walked out and whatever. But but and the narrative makes you think that except for you had predicted it. But let me let me just tell you what she said, what Pelosi said after it. It was so uh, it, it was so telling of the tactics. I hate to be like the tactics of the left. It's they both whatever. It's just the tactics of the left at this time. They're really spelling it out. They're using it. Uh, She said, Pelosi said, I don't think he really wants a solution. I think he loves the distraction that this is from his other problems, and that's most unfortunate. Pelosi added that she doesn't even know whether Trump wants a border wall with Mexico or just wants a debate on the wall. (laughs) I got to tell you, if if people are listening, have listened to our show before that you read me a passage. Do we have time? Find that passage. Do you have that passage from the Indivisible Guide? Where, um, if you don't have it, I have it. It was on an email you sent me. The one I emailed you? Yeah. Uh, About the Democrats needing yes. help stiffening their spine? Yes. Yeah. So so I'm going to have you read that. But first, let me say, not only is she... Uh, well, she's accusing him of doing what, what were her marching orders, but justifying future uses of this tactic by saying he he did it first but this came out what last year the this is the new indivisible guy? no this is the new one this one came out all right so indivisible is is democratic operatives ginning up a grassroots movement but with strict marching orders on strategies and tactics okay so you clear but quick because we're gonna go to break god the democrats will continue to need help need our help stiffening their spines. We're not going to mince words here. Cutting deals with Trump could harm Americans and help Trump win re-election. Then they go on to say that the biggest reason that cutting deals is so dangerous is that it reinforces the idea that Trump is a normal president capable of governing well, instead of a clear danger to our democracy. Presidents generally get credit for major legislative victories, and Trump will use it as a win to make a case to voters that he can get things done, that he can work across the aisle, and that, it, and that he can govern and should be reelected. We know that these things aren't true, and we know that any legislation terrible enough for him to accept is dangerous. So why would we help him out? Yeah, so we know these things aren't true, but how do they know, right? If the evidence, if they're manufacturing the evidence that proves it by stonewalling him irrationally with the sole purpose of discrediting him, and not to mention Pelosi added he was very unpresidential. She added that <laughs> in her comments about this meeting. So I'm, I'm not, I listen to a lot of talk radio. I'm not here to be like, so vote Republican. I'm not, this is not my point. My point is... These are tactics. The The right has its own tactics. I'm not talking about that right now, but these are aggressive tactics that are um, not being revealed. Another thing, oh, we got to get to this. Uh, when I say uh, I'm, I'm not slamming left and defending the right, 
I don't know how you define the right, but when I was reading the Wall Street Journal this week, yesterday or the day before, they finally addressed the fact that Democrat operatives were the Russian bots that discredited Roy Moore's social media. That minor little fact. Yeah, that minor little fact. And they completely whitewashed it. The Wall Street Journal completely whitewashed it. So... I don't even, you know, that's more evidence. There are not two sides. So I'm not being bipartisan. I'm not being, I'm not being partisan. I'm not being dialectical. I'm pointing out uh, these strategies and um, I will get into, I want to read that Wall Street Journal thing uh, and give you more on the uh, Alexandria Ocasio stuff. But I want to talk a little bit about the shutdown. So let's get to that after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Yeah, well... You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We're talking about what else? The government shut down. But in a way, you haven't heard anywhere else, I'm sure. And we actually saw, uh, I have to credit Binkley with this one. He absolutely saw uh, Nancy Pelosi's management of this from the beginning. Uh, I'm crediting myself for seeing... Uh, some of the other things we're going to talk about on the show, uh, other tactics and strategies. But before we get into the deeper stuff, I wanted to just make a couple of kind of 30,000 foot comments on the shutdown. First of all, I spent some time trying to figure it all out, figure out how it works, the difference between a budget and appropriations and funding and all that kind of stuff. I spent as much time as I could tolerate, and I definitely did not figure it out. I probably got a little closer than most people, but... Uh, most people are voters. There, There's over 100 million voters out there, and I doubt the majority of them knows exactly what's going on here. But I want to make two points for you to kind of carry around in your brain and uh, see if it fits. One is, I read this book. It's a, it's a real conspiracy uh, foundational book by Dr. John Coleman, I don't know what I think about him. I don't know about that. Could be a limited hangout. Probably is. But it had some good points in there. And one of the points was he gets into the differences between the European system and the American system. And the uh, the could have been the most significant difference is that in the American system, Congress has the power of the purse. And Ron Paul used to touch on this, too. Earmarks are good. It's Congress saying where the money is spent, not just sending the money to authority to a centralized to the president or whatever to just to decide how huge chunks of money are spent. So earmarks are good. There are 12 different appropriations bills. The one on Department of Homeland Security is the one that addresses the border wall. And in my opinion, uh, if you wanted to keep the the system working right, you would the Congress should pass 11 of the 12 appropriations bills and put them on Trump's desk and then see what happens. And that 12th one, then you can talk about that. But holding the entire system or a part of it, some of the appropriations bills were passed, but holding part of it, uh, larger parts of it hostage than necessary is a precedent I'm not crazy about because it puts executive power. uh, It increases the executive power. Obama started this, even continuing resolutions. Uh, takes the power out of the Congress's hands at the moment. And then there's one, a solution for the workers who have to wait for their pay. I will uh, give you this brilliant solution, which is why it'll never happen after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. It's a man house! A man house! 
on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB. Saturdays from 3 to 6. Usually today it's Sunday, 1 to 3. We're going to get a lot done, though, even though it's a little bit shorter than normal. And we were talking about the shutdown, the wall. Uh, I had an idea. They just passed a bill that allowed for all of government workers who did not, who aren't going to work, to be entitled to back pay, not only for this shutdown, but for all future shutdowns. And two of my favorite congressmen, Massey and Amash, were of the seven who voted against it. And they had specific reasons for it. They don't like that it's uh, that it's for future shutdowns. It takes the pain out of it for the politicians to use uh, our services as a weapon in their politics. It's a moral hazard. But I was thinking, uh, so the people if i understand it correctly the people don't go to work but they're guaranteed that they are going to get paid eventually and i thought a better way to do it would be if you show up to work you will get paid eventually with interest and then the government could easily nudge citibank or chase or all of them to offer lines of credit to federal workers at at government level interest rates guaranteed by or yeah, guaranteed by the future payments these people will get. So you're not getting your check from the government, but you have a line of credit from Citibank that charges you 1% interest or whatever the government would get. And then when the government pays you back, they pay you 1% interest, but you have to actually go to work. So this would take all of the brinksmanship out of holding up the appropriations bills. And I just think it's those kind of solutions could work, but it shows that this is about... The drama. But I'd even go a level deeper and say, is it really even about the wall in that uh, it's really not a tremendous amount of money? This is another point Justin Amash made, is that just the Department of Homeland Security alone has a $50 billion budget, roughly, and say the wall is $5 billion. Uh, in, in a $1.3 trillion budget, which Trump signed, there is it's it's not even a rounding error and that's what we should be talking about the actual overarching level of spending i'm a huge advocate for a balanced budget amendment and so it's a precedent uh the this what's happening now this brinksmanship is uh it it's a precedent i don't like for a couple of reasons and the idea of it leading to Trump declaring national emergency is another thing that I think is a bad precedent to set as an expansion of executive power. So I thought this and then Binkley forwarded me or retweeted John Favreau's tweet, which was this. Uh, John Favreau, who's in Hollywood, but he's also a, a Clinton speechwriter, you told me, and I know Obama speechwriter, Obama speechwriter, and I know he's in politics. He retweeted a Lindsey Graham tweet. Lindsey Graham tweeted, Speaker Pelosi's refusal to negotiate on the wall slash barrier funding, even if the government were to be reopened, virtually ends congressional path to fund the wall slash barrier. Time for uh, at real Donald Trump to use emergency powers to build a wall or barrier. I hope it works. Uh, And Favreau says, pumped for the next Democratic president to use emergency powers for a Green New Deal. Climate emergency, Medicare for all, public health emergency, and new Voting Rights Act, (laughs) democracy emergency. I mean, 
That's serious stuff. And that's exactly. And this crisis was prompted by, in part, at least uh, orchestrated caravans, Pueblas Sin Fronteras or whatever it's called. Like they organize caravans and they get people to the border to create these events. So that's coming from the left, and the emergency powers things plays right into that, and we will definitely have a Democrat president sometime. So, what do you think? Uh, organizing caravans, it sounds like a good business to get into. The, the, it, there's organizations doing that down there, so if they're getting paid to do it, it's going to continue happening. I I always wonder who is paying them, because it's probably considered a charity. La Raza uh, which definitely incites some of these, uh, I don't know about the caravans, but that's funded by the federal government. So obviously the government knows it's in its interest to have conflict because it's there to keep the peace. So we have a conflict of interest with the government. But that's just that. Let's let's get back on track. I think I wanted to talk about some of this. Is that it? Do you have anything on this shutdown wall, Pelosi? Didn't you think that there, what, what's it going to take to bring Pelosi to the table in your reading of the situation? I think that Pelosi is going to need public permission from the Democrats. I think it's the Democrats versus the progressives. And I think until she has like public permission from like CNN, MSNBC, from the Democrats, um, she won't give in until then. But I think she might once that happens. Yeah, I think that's that's fair assessment. I want to before we move on to another subject, I want to take a call. I'm going to go to Tom and Canton. Tom, uh, you're on with Monica. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Yeah, I had a comment. Well, first, I was 26 years with the military, retired at 18 Delta Special Ops. So I know the importance of maintaining homeland security as well as border control. And I was just wondering why the Democrats don't realize if we secure our borders and eliminate all these illegals, how much are we going to save and how long before we have a budget in the black? Do you really think the the wall is the answer? I believe some form of security. I mean, if you've ever been overseas, quite a few of the countries have either a 12-foot fence or some kind of permanent structure to control the traffic in and out. And it's, it, yeah. I have a friend who lives down there. Uh, here's a, here's a just a couple of things that makes me. I mean, I, I look if you have borders. I don't really unless like it really messes up um, environmental patterns. You know, whatever. But that's separate. Or the eminent domain issue that Justin Amash brought up. That's also something. But I have somebody. I know somebody who has a ranch on the border of Texas and Mexico, and he says that the cartels have closed it down by they just have snipers in the trees and if i'm not suggesting that that's what we do but i think that's what a wall is really all about isn't that what the berlin wall was about they just stood there and if you crossed it it was a signal that you were gonna get shot basically right i spent a year at uh Hoth border so i don't know what that's about we look up and see the guys on the towers looking back at us those were the snipers from the drug cartels right Oh, this is over in uh, in Germany back in the oh. late 80s. Oh, the Berlin Wall. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, my my point is, you know, maybe not that interesting, but it's just that the board, the wall is really seems to me more of a signal that, you know, there's usually the snipers along the wall. You look at the, the Great Wall of China, the Berlin Wall, it's about, it's about an outpost to keep, to really use militancy. And if you're going to use it anyway, I'm not sure you need the wall. And I'm a little worried that the wall... Uh, 
you know, if things get really ugly, a wall can keep you in. That's what Ron Paul said. I mean, that's what the Berlin Wall was for, to keep people in. So I worry a little bit about that. Oh, boy, it can be be interpreted either figuratively or literally, but the ideal is to control uh, your border, so to speak. And then the other thing I worry about is when you look at Europe, you look at Sweden, you look at places that are having immigration problems. Uh, Sweden has complained about Iraqi, Somalian, um, Syrian immigration. There's no border between Sweden and Syria. It's not a problem of, of a wall. It's a problem of policy. And and I think that that's that the wall is really a distraction from the fact that we we are at odds about policy. I mean, don't you think that's the fundamental problem? Essentially, yes. But like I said, it could be taken either figuratively or literally. But ideally, we do need to develop, get a policy in place, whether it's control, more border guards, or actually have a physical obstruction to separate the border. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't thank you very much for the call, Tom. I, I can't. Uh, now, I'm a libertarian. I believe in the right to work and travel. I believe in absolute private property rights. And if you had that, you wouldn't really need uh, a, the country's borders because people don't. You know, if you have a free society in order to eat, you know, you have to work. And and it's just arms like the transactions. My grandmother was left in an orphanage as a baby because her father came over. The mother died in childbirth and uh, they came over from Syria and the the father just couldn't hack it. And he went back to Syria and he left my grandmother here in an orphanage. So in a free society, you it's not you can go back because you don't get everything handed to you. So the welfare state, labor restrictions, all that stuff make it, uh, we live in a highly controlled society. So yes, given all of that, there's, uh, I understand the necessity of borders and border control, but, but the reality is we're not, we're really focused on the border wall on illegal immigrants. But if you listen to what Trump says, he doesn't talk about reducing the number of immigrants. He talks about switching immigration from unskilled, low-level immigration to highly skilled immigration. And I would say that is much more of a danger if you if you think of immigration as a danger to jobs. And in a highly controlled society where they control everything, it might well be. Uh, Whereas the unskilled laborers are outside the labor laws, they're outside uh, uh, the restrictions that screw up the labor market. I mean, I, I, I don't think we're having the right conversations. I think it's about uh, right and wrong, about policies, about the fundamental injustices in our system that prevent people, Americans. I mean, there's a welfare floor that keeps millions of Americans from taking jobs that attract people, desperate people from across the border. Anyway, I've talked about all this stuff before. So, but there's no, you can't not address some of it when that's what's in the news all the time. But I do, uh, I do want to, I don't think we have time to start playing the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez clips although i want to do that next we've got about a minute so binkley let me uh 
ask you, do you, I mean, do you have a, a gut feeling? Do you, what's your reaction to the idea of a wall? You think it's going to solve the problem? I don't think it's going to 100% solve the problem. It could be effective in some areas. We have a barrier in some areas, right? And Yeah. And actually, a lot of what the, when you look at the appropriations bill, it some of it is very specific about repairing stuff that's broken down. And actually, to tell you the truth, if people wanted to do it locally, I have no problem with that at all. Like, I, it's, you know, if they if they want to cordon off their area so that the individual landowners so if you're in a county and somebody's ranch is on the border and your ranch is on the other side of his ranch yeah he probably paid half of what you paid because he's got this border control problem but if your town wants to say okay we'll all chip in for that guy's wall i don't i don't have a problem with that you're allowed to build a fence on your own property in texas you're allowed to shoot somebody who comes across your property whether you have a fence or not yeah so you know what i mean like they have the solution you might not like it it's not pretty but it comes with absolute private property rights so, Absolutely. yeah. So, I mean, you could just go down that that topic forever, which is why I think that's a topic they pick, because both there's so many issues on both sides and knowing the nuances of policy and actual behavior, how people would actually work. You can debate forever what would work, what wouldn't work, what's right, what's wrong, why people are coming over, what they're doing when they're over here. It could go on forever, which is why it's a great wedge issue. Yeah. So I absolutely, though, have to get back to something that's even more important, and that is uh, the democratization, democratization of facts. Right after this, this is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Wrapping up wall talk, shutdown talk with a call from Eric. Eric, you are on with Monica. Can you hear me, Eric? Yes, ma'am. I can hear you, Monica. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. What you got? Uh, I, I think I have a better solution for uh, taking care of the illegal immigration situation that we're faced with every day. <clears throat> the um, I think we should look to the immigration system. It needs to be revised. It needs to be modified. And it needs to be um, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> oh, don't be nervous. Uh, it's just us. We, we we need to we we need to fix the immigration process and make it easier for immigrants to come over here, so that we don't have <clears throat> all this to fight and squabble about. The it would be a lot less expensive. Can I can I suggest something? It would be a lot more civilized than a wall when you look at the eu which i have plenty to criticize but they allow they really just ensure the right to work and travel across borders there but they don't allow i don't believe that workers from other countries get your welfare or they can't vote in your elections and they go back home and and that's when you put up walls and barriers and make it impossible to come in unless you're on a citizenship track. That's when people will start to panic because uh, uh, these are people who are going to vote who came from socialist cultures and might not understand what makes America prosperous. So, okay. I think, you know, I'm just saying I think that there's a I, I think you're onto something in that. Uh, making it all or nothing like that raises the stakes. And if you, if you, if you had it so you could come 
back and forth. I think that's the way it used to be. People would go back to Mexico. They don't want to retire here. It's too expensive. They would work. They would go back. Well, it just seems no one wants to go through the immigration process that we hear. It just seems it's a lot easier to, uh, you know, sneak back and forth and um, cause all kind of animosity on both sides. If we just yeah. had a better policy in place, we wouldn't have all these physical barriers to have to worry about. I totally agree. And I think policy is the ultimate answer anyway. You build the wall, it's going to have a gate. And who's going to control it? Then you're back to policy. Uh, lots more after the break, Bob. Hang on. And uh, I'll get to you. This is Monica Perez.